Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father's by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is that prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Absolutely. And we're going to strike out the word, hopefully. <laughs> okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. Because that just thought brought me into my biggest, biggest question. But we're going to get to that one in a minute again in a second here. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Levy. Oh, my pleasure. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Give me a second. Let me introduce you, and uh, we'll get it going. Um Today's topic is how to be an entrepreneur and a thought leader, and I guess Mr. Mitchell Levy, the AHA guy, and uh, he's going to be educating us about um, publishers who work with various platforms and partners to help people get their AHA messages those that need to see them. AHA, that is a platform he and his team built to allow people to quickly share content Aha Mess available to share on social for free and authors their book, book over 300 have written. Oh, man, I'm messing that up. Mr. Levy, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. You probably do a better job than I just did. <laughs> Not a problem. We, uh, you know, here's what, the, uh, what we do or what people say about me. I am a people publisher. What we do is we empower thought leaders to share their genius. And, and so if you're a wannabe thought leader or an existing thought leader or even don't know what the term is, we could talk about that in this, in this conversation. The short answer is simply in the world we're moving towards, we want to do business with those that we know, like, and trust. And one of the best ways to be known as somebody who could service you, whether it's a product or a service offering that you're giving, one of the best ways to be known is to have a book. 
And if you could do your book in, let's say, eight hours or potentially even as little as two, how cool would that be versus the hundreds or sometimes thousands of hours people spend? Because your business, unless you're a publisher yourself, your business is to work with your clients and your prospects to help them be happier or satisfy their issue, not to worry about writing a book or publishing a book. How is that? I think that's fantastic, which leads us into the question, you know, because you mentioned, you know, some writers spend hundreds and hundreds of hours writing a book. So how can anyone write a book in, in eight hours? So can, so I'm going to give you that answer. And then, and then also, if I don't answer it as part of this answer, I'd love to do the why would you want to do eight hours versus 100 or 1,000. But I, I think that's an obvious answer, but, but we'll get there. So right. there's a platform called AHA That. If you go to ahathat.com, this is a platform my, my team and I built. Uh, the first thing is if you want to share content, there are 41,000 pieces of content that you can instantly share with a click of a button on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+. Okay, so that's just that platform free to use, free to share. So the next thing is, well, how could you write your book in eight hours? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you how to do that, and then I'm going to tell you the, our current go-to-market strategy is to, to do an interview you, with you in two and then to ghostwrite the book for you. Uh, but I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll bring that up as well. So the way we've defined a book today is the way in which we consume data. Uh, we have so much information coming at us. We want to consume data a lot quicker than in the past. And so a AHA book on the platform is comprised of 140 bite-sized quotes, 147 second sound bites, all with the intent of either educating or capturing the attention or changing a framework of somebody in terms of how they think. So a good example of an aha message is one that I wrote from the book. Um, the book's called Hey, Did You Aha That? And that book, that particular message I like, is we live in a seven-second soundbite economy, so make it count. It's hard not to hear that without going, well, well no, no, it's, it's not seven seconds, it's ten. No, 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 it's four. Or, oh, yeah, that is right, and guess what? I spent 30 seconds talking about something that should have been seven, right? And so it's... <laughs> The, the, the benefit of that as an aha message is simply it inspires action or a thought. So how do you write your book in eight hours? If you go to the page ahathat.com slash author, we have a three-step authoring process. And all the steps are, are highlighted there. There are videos there, and there's tools to help you do it. And would it be okay if I talk about those three steps? Sure, go for it. So step one. Step one is a, is a simple one. It's a Word document. And in that Word document, it asks four questions. You know, what's your name? What's your bio? What's the title of the book in a one-paragraph summary? Question number one is the most important. I'm going to tell you how it reads, but then I'll tell you what it really says. How it reads is who is the reader and what are their expectations from the book. What it really says is who is your prospect and what are their pain points. Right, think about that for a second. If you have a book that talks about the pain points your prospects have, and then they go on to, and by the way, how do people find you today if they don't know you already? They go to Google and they do a search. So if somebody does right. a search on the pain points they have, and it turns out 
that your book pops up, who do you think they think can solve their problem? It sounds pretty simple. <laughs> it, it, it is pretty simple. And so that's the Word document that people fill out. And that's really, and by the way, whether or not you are actually going to be writing for us or not, these three steps are, in, are publicly available. So feel free just to, to pick them up and print that out. Even if you're writing a traditional book, you should answer those questions. Step number two is a single page, a one-page PDF. And I've curated over 60,000 AHA messages. So that PDF is the best practice on how to create an AHA message. Or a more simple way to say it, how do you create a quote or a tweet that will attract attention? And so I've got a single-page PDF. Once again, this is step two that sits on aha.com slash author. It's step two. Just print it off, stick it on your wall, and get better at sharing stuff on social media. Uh, step three is an Excel spreadsheet, and that's where you put your content. And so it's, and what it does is it keeps track of the character count. So right. what's interesting about, and, and I think as you were ma mentioning in the beginning, we've had 300 authors actually write their books in eight hours or less. So what's interesting about writing a book in eight hours or less that actually addresses the pain points your prospects have is technically that's snapping your fingers. And if you could snap your fingers and have a book, now you're not thinking about the weeks or months or in some cases years it's going to take you to have your book done before you actually could use it as a marketing tool. If you liked it, if you hear this, and after this show you say, oh, my God, I've got to do it, you could, you could write your book on Monday. Or you could write it down as something you're going to do the following weekend. It is really that simple. And once you have your book, now you're the author that, that demonstrates, at least in those words, that you understand the issues that your prospects are going through. It, it, it sounds kind of simple, but it is, right? I mean, how does that feel to you as, in terms of what I'm saying? Well, it feels simple to me to, to understand uh, your clients and your prospects. I, it, exactly. And so what's fascinating to me, and I think this is human nature, one would think that eight hours is a short amount of time. And if anyone who had the opportunity and wanted to write their book could easily do that. Human nature, unfortunately, says that even when people have paid money, so if you, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll go off on a small story. Uh, last year, we did a Kickstarter. Uh, the Kickstarter was to create an automated tool so that once people had their AHA book done, their content could be automatically shared on Twitter. So the good news is we hit 250% of goal on the Kickstarter. And we had 20 people buy the ability to actually write their books. So they were going to write, and then we would publish them either the AHA book or I guess I hadn't mentioned yet, we could take an AHA book and turn it into a PDF or turn it into a Kindle or turn it into paperback and hardcover, and they're gorgeous. So we had 20 people buy the ability to either publish their AHA book in, in the AHA that platform or to have it published in uh, paperback or hardcover. So here's the interesting part. Six months went by. At the end of six months, do you want to guess how many of the people actually wrote their book? How many? One. One person, 
it, it was a shock to me, right? So this is interesting. People paid money and I didn't have to deliver any service. Now, maybe for some people that feels like a good thing. For me, that's just like a horrible slap in the face of integrity. I'm sitting on people's money. I want to deliver them right. the service that they paid for. And so what happened is that's when I got inspired. And the inspiration was we, we had another show. I think we, it's part of the interview questions. We have a show called Thought Leader Life where when we, we can take two hours of recorded content and, and ghostwrite an aha book. So my inspiration was, well, let me call one of the people who paid. Let's see if I could interview them for two hours, and then we'll create the book for them. Uh, so she said yes. Now at the end of nine months, and somebody else came in. So at the end of nine months, we now have three of 20 authors who have written their content. And, uh, and so the moral of this story, 20 people paid to actually have their book done 17 people could not find eight hours in a nine month period. Right. So what was there? It's and what by was the way, the reason for oh, that? Oh, it's interesting. There's always a reason, right? There's always something. Um, some which you can't possibly say are bad reasons are, uh, I think there's one or two who had deaths in the family, right? And so they just weren't in the mental state to do anything. Um, there's one or two that they, they're in the midst of playing around with branding. So they don't want to write a book today because they're not exactly sure how they're going to present themselves to the world tomorrow. Right. And, and maybe some of the rest is simply life got in the way, you know? And so it's the interesting point is, any, and, and by the way, this is plain old, as, any plain, old, yeah. any plain old procrastination. Oh, I'm sure that is, but nobody would admit that to me. Um, I, I think, I think the way I interpret that data, right? So let's say that's data. If I'm going to turn that data into wisdom, what I would say is when somebody is actually ready and they set the goal to write their book, they get it done. And we're talking about we've published over 800 books. So we've had some authors who have spent a couple hundred hours writing their book. So if you're really interested and it's your time and it's your goal, you're going to make it happen. And if you don't set that goal, if it's not sitting there right in front of you, and even if it only takes eight hours, it still means you need to find the time. And so when I'm now in front of a group, my go-to-market strategy is simply, hey, listen, you want to write your book, you can. Go to ahabat.com slash author and just follow the steps. It's really easy to do. Now, if you don't think, if you know yourself enough <laughs> that you don't think you're going to find eight hours to write your book, let us set up an interview. And we'll interview you for two hours. And what we're going to talk about, guess what? your prospects and their pain points and the objections they have when you actually pitch them your service or your product. And we had that conversation for two hours. That's how myself and our team, we can extract the genius out of your head and then be able to put it down on paper. And, and here's the cool part. And you know this personally, and I'll say this for myself. It's so much easier for me if somebody does, let's say, the first, the first pass on an article and they write it for me, and then I just clean it up, that's so much easier than sitting down and making time to write the article. And so the same, same <laughs> is true with the book. 
So, so it, it is really I, that simple, and, and it, it is really human nature, right? Yeah, well, you offer a great service because I think I'd need somebody to walk around behind me like two steps behind and I have to dictate everything to them. Uh, we, by the way, technology-wise, we're getting close. Um, and in the meantime, of course, if you really need it, if, it, if you come to that decision, after listening to me or hearing what's going on, the value that a book brings, if you really need it, there's no reason why you can't get a professional to interview you to extract basically the genius out of your head and be able to put it in paper so that you can now share that with other people. Yep, that's a great service. And I'm sure a lot of folks will definitely benefit from that because we know we have a lot, a lot of people out there that want to write a book that have great stories and don't know how to begin. Ah, oh, so you said the word stories. So let me talk about, to me, what a book is, <laughs> okay? Because there are... For what we do, for what we're talking about, it really is for the entrepreneur. It really is for the business person. So we don't really do kick books. We don't do poetry. Um, what we do is think of this as the best business card you can have to open up a door. And the door is when, you're, when your clients and your prospects, your prospects either talk to you or talk about you, or your clients reach out to you because, I'm sorry, your prospects reach out to you because all of a sudden they're like, oh, you could solve a problem for us. And I think that's the, the thing that's fascinating. Um, for us, if, let's say you're doing a AHA book, 140 bite-sized quotes. Any one of those quotes can include a URL. So those URLs can point to videos that you've done, uh, radio shows that you've done, so they can point to different, different programs. They could point to top-of-funnel content where you've got a lead gen tool. You know, people pick up this PDF, they give their, their email address, and then you've actually shared it with them. And so the interesting part is you now can extend your book by including some of the marketing things you do in terms of reaching out to others. And so the stories will come from the videos that you do or the audios that you do. The AHA book itself is really about that AHA message designed to capture somebody's attention. I know a lot of the stuff that you do is predicated on the utilization of um, social media. And I know uh, a lot of, uh, especially in my industry, the music side of the business, we have a lot of artists that um, are not that, uh, should I say, knowledgeable of social media. So how effective is it with you? I noticed that you deal a lot with it. You know, I, I it's one of those really interesting questions because I, Often, uh, whether or not I'm in the C-suite of a corporation or, or somewhere else, and, and you always have the naysayers or the people who are not knowledgeable yet, and they go, oh, you know, that's not going to be that important. So first of all, whether or not it's important to whoever is listening right now in their industry today, that's actually an irrelevant point in terms of what it is today. The question becomes is who is going to listen to your music tomorrow? And how do you reach those people? 
right? That's the right question to ask. And if, if the audience that you're going to be talking to are really old and they're never going to get on social media and they're not going to play around with any of the, the technology that's out there today, well, then you don't need to get on social media. On the other hand, what I think is probably more like the case is the audience that any musician has today is going to continue to gravitate to be more and more social. They're going to be talking to their friends on social. And if you're not participating in that conversation, you're going to be a black hole. You're going to be transparent. They're not going to see you. And so you talk to your prospects or I guess in the music industry, you talk to your potential listeners, your potential clients, you, you talk to them in the places that they hang out because it's easier to do so. And so if you can have a communication with people who are potential listeners to you and figure out a way to, to get them to hear you and listen to you and talk about you, well, that's what social media is all about. So the answer is yes. <laughs> you need yeah. to play. So how do you play? I guess that's the, that's the first question that many people ask. It just depends on your age group and where you are. Um, if you have, you know, if you're a parent and you have kids, uh, talk to your kids. Um, if you're a uh, uncle or a niece and you've got, you've got uh, kids either, you know, if you're in the older range, uh, talk to your grandchildren, talk to the people today about who they are and what they do. Not that they have the final answer. So I have a son who's 19. I learned a heck of a lot by watching his interaction with his friends and what he does and how he does it. Um, and, I've, and I've really grown as a result of that. And a lot of times today in a particular social media, um, what I, I like to use the word experiment. So what I'll do is, is uh, I'll go to a handful of my friends and say, hey, listen, I'm experimenting with this. Uh, do you want to play <laughs> and see what happens? And the cool part about social media is you could actually do a whole heck of a lot of play without actually paying money and because it's available to you. So you set up an experiment and you play and you see what happens. You measure the results and you go, ah, oh, this is kind of interesting. This is what I wanted to do. This is worthwhile of me spending time. So let's, let's talk about one of the questions I often get asked when I'm on the, when I'm on the radio and, and, uh, let me ask this of myself because it's a good way to be thinking about what social media is and how to do it. And so the question I'm often asked is, hey, Mitchell, you often talk about how to do social media with just five minutes a day because that's probably the fear many people have. I'm going to get sucked in and it's going to take a lot of time. And the answer is yes, social media could, uh, depending on how you do it, there are many people who do get sucked in. But what's happening is they're not focusing on, to, to me, they're not focusing on what's important to them, which is really talking and communicating with their audience. So social media in five minutes a day, and, and this is really a metaphor of, of how social media should be used. When people hear the word social media and they think about social media, they, they think of that, although there are two words that I just mentioned, they think about one word. They think about media. Think, right. They think about the fact that they have a microphone. And once you have a microphone, you could speak. And if you could speak and there's nobody on the other side to see you, what are you going to say? Well, many people speak into the microphone and they say, hey, look at me. I'm cool. Look at my product. Listen to my music. It's really good. 
Well, when a, your potential audience hears that, uh, they're going to run away. They don't want you to talk about you. They want you to talk about them, <laughs> right? Everyone wants the, to, to talk about somebody else. So social media, the way I like to think about it, is really those two words. It's social. If you can imagine putting your uh, two fingers in the air on both hands and just 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 do the uh, inflection where you're saying it's about social plus it's about media. As a matter of fact, I might actually go as far as to say that social media is 80% about the social and 20% about the media. So here's my question for you, because I know a lot of people, again, jumping over in the entertainment industry, they're always promoting uh, themselves. And if you look on their Facebook page, they won't allow anybody else to post anything on their page. And which I think I read something, I heard something from you about the social and media being two parts as well. And right. um, when they when they do that, they cut out the social part. And did I get that correct? You you you're you're, you're tracking. This is good. So, uh, so what is the so correct is it, way to, to utilize uh, uh, those platforms? Uh, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, LinkedIn. So here's where, so here's a great, so your example is a good one, and I'll still get to the uh, how to do it in five minutes a day. Your example says, hey, let's not let people post because they may say bad things. Well, so then the question becomes, uh, do you care, right? Does it matter if somebody says something bad? And the answer to that question is, it matters if you don't respond to it, right? Because everyone has an opinion. Everyone's allowed to have an opinion. And when you have a fan base, there are people who are going to have different forms of opinion based on your fan base. If somebody actually says something, you know, it may be very valuable for you to listen to it and for you to respond. That's what's called engagement. So the old days, we used to put our artists up on on uh, pedestals. They would speak and we would just listen. They would say jump and we would say how high. Nowadays, there are so many people with super strong opinions and capabilities. We actually want to ask them what they think and how, how they think. And when somebody has an opinion that's negative, it depends. Some people are just glass half empty people, in which case there's maybe no way you could make them feel better. But you know what? If you start answering and you're answering positively, and the person on the other side is not responding at all positively, if you have fans that are also listening, they're going to chime in. Because it's, it's about the engagement part of the world. And so if you're not going to respond at all, maybe it's better to turn it off. But what's going to happen over time is a person who has similar music, who actually does engage in their audience, uh, they're going to win. Because that's where we want to go to as humans. We want to, we actually want to do business. If we're buying music, we want to do business with people we know, like, and trust. If we're buying a product or a service, same sort of thing. And so I lean in the direction of turning comments on, turning reviews on. And doing that, though, while you're also paying attention and managing it. Because if you're not actually, if somebody responds and says something whether it's positive or negative, 
you want to thank them, or if it's negative, you want to talk about it. Does that right. make sense? Yes. Yeah, that was the question for a lot of the entrepreneurs that doesn't know the power in uh, social networking. They don't think it's really necessary um, to help their business. No, it's it's the, the question becomes in today's world. There, are, the cool part is what the internet has done. It's given us a lot of choice. We have so much more choice than we've ever had in the past. The problem is, how do you choose who to play with and, and how and why? And so a lot of times, let me use a good example. Let's say you're going into a new city. Uh, you're on there on a, on a trip, and you've got uh, two nights, and you decide you want to go to dinner. Well, how many people have actually gone to dinner or looked at a hotel without taking a look at the reviews ahead of time, right? Very few, whether or not you go into Yelp or some other review service, you're actually going to check to see what other people, and if you're lucky, what other people just like you felt about the food or felt about the place to stay. And if it's a, if it's a hotel, if any one of those re- reviews ever have the word bed bugs in there, you're absolutely never going to stay there, even if it's a couple years old. Right, So the thing that's interesting is if that's how your prospects are looking for you and searching for you, it's because they want to get to know, like, and trust you. If that's what they're doing, well, then social media gives you an opportunity to do that without spending a lot of money. Right, You could do videos of you talking about yourself and things going on. You could have your fans share videos and you talk about those. You know, anything that represents engagement will get people to talk about you because let's say I was going to a city that I hadn't been to before and, and I know somebody who frequents that city. I'm going to say, hey, where should I eat? If I'm going to Paris for one day or I'm going to New York City for one day, where should I eat? I'd be curious to hear what the responses are, which, by the way, if you're an artist and you're traveling across the country, how cool would it be if you're, if you're asking your fans, hey, I'm here where should I eat? It'd be kind of interesting to hear what the responses are, whether or not, um, you know, you then come back and, and you then say to, your, to one of your fans who recommended a great restaurant, you call them out by name and you say, hey, thanks for the recommendations. I loved eating here. It was fantastic. Right? Now, if it's horrible, maybe you let it go. <laughs> right? So yeah. it's, it's really about you being human. Right? And maybe that's probably the thing as we – as we sort of transform and move from the, we still, the way we live today is so much based around the industrial age society, you know, where there was a command and control structure and people said jump and we said how high and they said, hey, march in this direction. And we all marched in that direction. What we're, trans, what we're moving towards is the social age. And the social age is one where we really value getting to know other people. And if you're an artist, your fans and your soon-to-be new fans, they want to get to know you. And if they can't get to know you, they may not ever become your fan. You know what I find interesting, too, Mitchell, again, in my in my industry, you know, there was a time where um, the artist or uh, musician was based solely on his good music. I mean, it was based totally on his music, period. 
now, now the way the industry has changed, and I know the internet has done some great things to uh, society. It's brought some great, great things, but it also brought some nightmares too. But uh, now, you know, your artistry or your goal or your worthiness is not really based on your music. Now, it's based on your numbers. You know, they're looking at your YouTube views. You know, they're looking at all those numbers, and then they'll go listen to you as an artist. And then if your music good, ah. oh, well, that's great. It's great, but but they're not looking for the music first. And to me, I, I think that's a bad thing for the for the music industry. Because if you don't have the machinery in place, you don't have the finances in place, or for some reason you're just not Internet savvy, you know what I'm saying? Your, your numbers are never going to reflect nothing on YouTube, so, Twitter, or Facebook. So let me say this. I absolutely hear you, and I absolutely have empathy to that. <laughs> okay? Now, let's put my business hat on. If I'm a recording company or if I'm a broadcast media, so if I put on shows on and right now Netflix and and HBO and CBS, and I mean, there are many broadcast media. If I'm broadcast media, or I, me personally, I'm a publisher, right? And, and when I have somebody approach me and say, would you publish my book? Uh, let's take a look at it from a book perspective. Somebody comes to me and says, would you publish my book? Well, in the old days, when everything we published was free, right, so we would never charge the author, then the question, the answer to me is, well, am I going to make money on it, right? And, and right. my determination of how I'm going to make money on the book is either how many fans the, the person has today or how many books they're going to buy or how hard are they going to market their book. Now, right. what we do today is we, we – uh, the word self-publishing is no longer a, a bad two-letter word. And so we actually charge for people to publish with us. So I care a little bit less about how much money we're going to make based on book sales, except for the same caveat we had at the beginning of the conversation. I want the person who's publishing with us, I want them to be successful. So part of the, when I talked about the questions that are in step one of the three-step process, um, part of that is to me to determine if they're writing the book for the right reason. So now let's talk about music. There's technical competence and excellence in music, and it's beautiful to hear people who, who are just super proficient at that, and they do it well, and they practice for three to five hours every day or then some. And, and from an artistic perspective, it's absolutely beautiful, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. The question right. comes when you go to a recording company, their answer when they look at that versus they look at somebody who's not technically sufficient, but they have a nice following because they've been talking with their audience and, and their fans know about them and their fans are interested in what they're doing today and they interact well. It's really hard for, for as a business person, it's really hard for the recording studio to go, oh, hey, your music is technically superior. Let's go with you even though – I'm going to make millions of dollars with this other company right, with this other artist. And, and I'm just – the part of human nature is as the Internet has become more prolific, 
what we really are entering is we're entering the age that's really focused on supply and demand. So with musicians, I'm not going to say, you know, they're a dime a dozen because that would be silly. I've got a, I've got a, a brother-in-law who's a phenomenal artist. And he's a, he's a classical guitarist and he's, he's spectacular. So I'm not going to say musicians are a dime a dozen, but, but what I will say is there, there are now the opportunity for us to see and hear that many more artists. Because anyone who wants to can do a recording and put it up on all the different sound sites. So what, then what, what I makes find one artist what, stand out from another, right? What, their, their ability to utilize social networking. Well, what I find, Mitchell, because I've been in the record business forever, is that we, we lost a whole lot of musicians, especially when, you know, they started taking music programs out of school. So here comes, mm. you know, the, in, the invent of the Internet, you know, the computer generation, where you have a lot of guys that's computer tech, computer savvy, you know, and then they start sampling music. You remember the big mess when everybody was sampling music, but it was most of the generation that had the computer skills to do it. So... um it's just crazy how I see this business going where, you know, we don't, we have lost a lot of musicians is my point. But because people are more computer savvy now, now you could have a digital recording set up in your home for less than $3,000. And I remember when I first got my first studio, you had to, three, had to have 300000 you know. So It's crazy, right? I mean, yeah. I do uh, – so, so similarly, I, I actually have a TV studio in my – so my, my office at home is my garage. It's a 400-square-foot, really built out, um, and it looks beautiful. And I have a TV studio in my office that I spent $300 for, right? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I have the <laughs> professional – I have a professional camera that is used for video conferences around the world. I have a professional mic, and I have a stand so that I can move the mic around anywhere I want. And so when I'm doing broadcasts and I'm doing TV stuff that's for any one of a number of video channels, the quality of the stuff that I could produce, and now you put some editing on top of that, the yeah, quality great, of stuff I great. produce, it's, it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same as – so my brother's a professional editor. You know, he edits for, for the large movies that are out there. It's clearly not the same as that. Uh, however, the quality of the content you could produce in your house because technology has gotten that much better is really high. And so, you know, I, here's the thing. You could sit back and go, that's not right. Or you could sit back and go, okay, how can I now use the way the world is changing to my benefit? Excellent. I agree. I agree. And I think that right there, that thought there is what really separates the entrepreneurs from the rest of the pack. <laughs> yeah. Well, as an entrepreneur, what you should be doing is seeing what's happening with the world and technology and where the newer fans are coming in and then go, oh, where do I think it's going to be in a year or two? okay, how can I get there before other people? And just so you know, that's what I've done with this AHA That platform. I, I can tell you uh, with 99%, I'd like to say 100, but we'll say 99% certainty that five or 10 years from now, 
so many people are going to be doing exactly what I'm doing with this platform. It just makes sense. It's just too easy. It's too straightforward. It absolutely makes sense. I just happen to be there first because I see the world moving in that direction. So the question Can't becomes for whoever's listening. Yeah, you got an idea. Where Where is it going? How can you play? How can you make it happen? Can we buy some stocks in uh, com- uh, consumer hologram sets? Ooh, yeah, I'm telling you, that's a great. So you know that's happening. I know that's happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't you, know, can, can but you, I don't can know imagine, commercialized, right? Can you oh. imagine seeing a full concert in the living room from your hologram and you're buying your programs like you buy your, your regular cable programming? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. So the answer is yes, I can imagine that. What I can't imagine for me yet today, I don't know what I'm going to be doing to play in that world, right? I don't know exactly what I'll do, except if I can think about it, given that I have uh, – uh, we publish about 800 books. So I have access to a lot of entrepreneurs who have done interesting things. So the thing is, I'm working on building the network, and my – as a since I call myself a people publisher – at some point in time, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, Mitchell, I can do this hologram technology for you. Let's partner with you together, and let's do something with all your authors. Well, that's interesting. So that's part of the, for me, that's part of the reason why I'm calling myself a people publisher versus a book publisher, because I want right. to make sure that I can get my people the best capability they can I love your idea of the hologram, and there's so many things that are going to be available now once we do that. I just don't know if I can see what I'm doing with it today. So what I, all I can see is I just build the audience and get more people interested in working with what I'm doing. But if you come to me tomorrow and you've got that hologram technology, I'm going to say to you, let's play. Yeah. I'm ready. Well, I can just I, I I can see it happening because like everything else, it, it it exists now. Just mostly all the major amusement parks are playing with it, but you know it hasn't got to the you know the consumer level yet. I have a question here for you that I'm kind of interested in too. That I can, if I can get you to answer, what are the uh, five top thought uh, leadership practices? Hmm. That's always a fun question. So let's talk about number one. If somebody hears you or meets you and they hear your name, if they're actually physically sitting in a room with you, they're going to talk to you. But if they don't get a chance to do that, what's the first thing somebody does when they hear about you? Well, they go to their computer, uh, whether it's Google or Bing or something else, and they're going to type in your name, and they're going to see what is said. (laughs) So number one, number one best practice is make sure you present well. Now, here's another thing that goes back to social media. Let's say one of your friends comes to you and says, hey, I got this new band I just listened to. They're amazing. And they go and then they type up the band's name. Now, the social media companies are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to make sure that what pops up when you type in a name is their social media company, either LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or Google Plus or what have you, and the band's name or the person's name. So what happens you, if you uh, have a really uh, – Mitchell, yeah. can you throw a little bit in there about uh, uh, search engine optimization in there? How that fits in with that? Oh, sure. 
I'll come back to that. Let me finish this thought and I'll throw that in there. So okay. the thing that's interesting when, when you, uh, when, when somebody gets to your, let's say you have a, a, a non-existent LinkedIn profile, your name's there, but you haven't done anything. Well, in the business world, if I get to somebody who has a non-existent LinkedIn profile, I go away. Uh, in the music world, you know, whatever the top music sites is, I'd want to see at least a half dozen or a dozen of their songs available for free that I could sample. And if I went to a site and I was looking for music and I can't sample, you know, a handful of songs for free, I'm going to go away. That band's no longer relevant for me. Um, so you get the point there. Let me, let me talk, let me answer your question on search engine optimization. So here's what's interesting. The, what sites like Google want to have happen is they want their searches to be relevant. So if you went to their site and said, I'm interested in X, uh, I'm interested in eating Italian food, right? It's, it's going to make an assumption that you want to eat Italian food potentially at a restaurant. And it's going to, if it knows where you are, it's going to present to you restaurants which are local because that's really what you're thinking about. Or maybe you think about recipes and you go in that direction. So what happens is if you get a positive result because you have gone to Google and you type in that search, you're going to go back to Google next time you have a question. Well, think about all the search engine and all of that happened automatically. No human was involved. So the search engine wants to be able to have information to be able to satisfy their clients because the more time the clients spend on their site, the more potential revenue they're making based on ad revenue and or other things. So what do you have to do? You have to put content out there in a way that the search engines can read it. And that content needs to be specific enough so that if somebody said to me, let's see, I'm trying to think of a, a good example. I, I, I don't play in music. Oh, here we go. What are some of the best classical guitarists of all time? Thinking about my uh, brother-in-law. Well, what happens if he talked to one of his friends who was a blogger and created a top ten list of class, all, all-time classical guitarists? Uh, I would bet you that Google would probably pop that up as one of the top ten search results. And what happens if it was a friend if they actually included my brother-in-law? Then he'd pop up on that list because his friend, uh, his friend created a blog post that answered the question that somebody's typing in. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. Totally. So so that's really, so step number one in terms of the five best practices, uh, present well, and uh, and you'll hear in some of the others where it makes sense. Uh, Step number two is to consistently share content, right? You can't just go invisible. You can't just talk to your audience when you're on tour or you have an album to sell. You're going to not seem authentic if the only time you talk to people is when you want something from them. You want to talk to people when you don't want something from them. And uh, so, so what I might recommend for those that find this interesting, um, this platform we have, ahabat.com, it's got 41,000 pieces of content, and it's free to read and free to share. So feel free to go there. Find content you like and start sharing it. Whether or not you find it there or anywhere else, what people care about, if, if they know, know you and like you and hopefully trust you, they care about your opinion. So a new article came out or a new band or a uh, new, uh, new technology, 
um, it, they'd want to hear you talk about it, right? Because if they're your fans, they care about what you have to say. Right. So number three. Number three is to write a book. The, and, and by the way, the answers I'm getting from the top five, I run a group on LinkedIn called the Thought Leadership Best Practices Group, and I'm just pulling the, uh, the, the top five of, of ideas and things that we get from that group. So number three is write a book. And we talked at the beginning of the show at how easy it is for you to do that. And so if, uh, if you're in music, you can even write a book that says, hey, what is, what is the changing nature of music today with things going on with technology? Kind of an easy one to do. And as a matter of fact, if you wanted to write your book by interviewing other people, now you've got other people involved in your discussion, other people who could potentially market for you and share what you're doing um, to their networks. So writing a book, because that makes you the expert in that particular space. Uh, number four is exactly what you're doing. Create your own channel. Whether it's on blog talk radio or on YouTube or somewhere else, creating your channel where you're consistently sharing your content, and of course if you're interviewing other people, other people's content on a consistent basis. It's a good way to actually get your brand out there and to learn a lot more. And, uh, and the fifth way, I kind of mentioned it already, and that is to create a best of list. So it is such a phenomenal thing to do to create a best, the best 10 in the world or the best 25 or the best 50 thought leaders in this space. Or, you know, in your world on, on the music side, hey, the, the best 50 new up and coming, and then you fill in the blank of, of what that is. Now, think about what happens when you do that. You're creating a list where, and let's stick with 50, you're creating a list where you're actually featuring either 50 new up-and-coming people or 50 influencers in a particular space, and you're letting everyone on that list know that they won an award. And by the way, if you want to do it right, you then create a graphic, and you say, oh, by the way, here's a graphic presenting you as the top 50 person, and why don't you include the graphic on your site and point back to my site? And what happens is you're letting the influence in the field know who you are. You're, by the way, you're not only doing that, but you're also building a relationship ahead of time. So if you're doing a show like this, you're not just meeting the person for the first time when you put them on air. You make sure you talk to them either a half hour, you know, a, a couple of days before, or you, you ask the person to come on 10, 15 minutes early. So you get to know people ahead of time because it's really about that relationship that you're building. It's not about every time you get a chance to touch somebody, particularly somebody who you may or may not know is influential, every time you get a chance to touch somebody, you can also do it in the best way possible so they want to talk about you. And so if you're doing a top 50 list, you have at least 50 chances to now talk and get to know people a whole lot better. And then what you're doing, and this goes back to your your sub-question number one on SEO, if you have a lot of people who are pointing back to your site because you've created a top 50 list, uh, the search engines also look at that as a way to determine what, what content is worth sharing. So those are the top five. Uh, I'm just going to repeat what they are. but You made me think about something, Mitchell. It's not, it's not who you know. It's how you know who you know. Ooh. 
That's so, see, that's that an aha me. message. That's your first <laughs> aha message, by the way. That's a beautiful yeah. one. Yeah, but that made me think about it when um, when you were talking about the people that engage with the audience and form the relationship. And a lot of entrepreneurs, and I hope a lot of listeners get this, you know, it's very important in business, is, it's the relationship because you could know somebody and they won't do business with you. So it's not who you know, it's how you know who you know. Right, and how you use the relationship. Right. If, if you looked at my LinkedIn profile, I have uh, 16,000 people I know. I know the C-suite of a number of large companies. Now, if I'm going to reach out to somebody who is uh, in the top five positions at any large public company, I'm only going to reach out if it's important. Right. So sometimes if their birthday is public, I'll do the happy birthday thing uh, or an anniversary, I might say that. But if I want to do something with somebody who's in that position – what I realize is I have I will continue to do as many favors as I can for them, and once a year or once every other year, I'm going to ask for something, right? And sometimes if I have nothing relevant to ask for, I won't, right? So the interesting part is if you know somebody and they know and they like you, do they continue to like you? And it just depends on how you treat the relationship. And if they're in a position where time is a premium commodity – are you appreciating the fact that they have very little time and you're respecting that? And when you have an ask, you make it as easy as possible for them. That's important. So, That's powerful. Yeah. Another aha moment. <laughs> yeah, a major aha moment. So what's in store for you next, Mitchell? Uh, well, I actually uh, have been asked to do a TED Talk, and I'm doing one of those on Saturday of next week. So I'm kind of excited about that. So that is my – what's my focus at the moment is to be uh, practicing and getting lots of people involved in giving me feedback and opinions and thoughts. And although now with one week left, what I'm really looking for is just the, the, the practice in front of a large audience – and so there was, um, I found out about this about four weeks ago. I had a chance to actually speak in front of, besides the, what I can do with Zoom with friends, I had two, live, two conferences I was at where they just fit in the slot for me to present. And it was great to be in front of an audience and actually get an opportunity. And that's a win-win for both people. The conference organizer thinks it's pretty cool to be able to do that. Uh, the people in the audience are, hey, I got to see it before it, it went live, although I have to tell you, the, those people who have seen it so far, it has morphed <laughs> a significant amount. <laughs> so ultimately what gets presented will be better because I wanted to engage with the audience that I thought would be consumers of this video. I mean, at the end of the day for a TED Talk, it's, it's, it's about the video that goes on. And and my goal and, and the goal of TED and certainly my goal of this presentation is, okay, how can I present an idea that's easily consumable that's worth sharing? And so that's, that's what I constantly do. And then, you know, when you, when you present to people, you hear their feedback. And if you're really listening, now this is really fascinating. If you're really listening, what you have to do is determine how people process data. 
some people process words and sounds, right? They're auditory people. Some people process things visually, so they're visual folks. And some people process things kinesthetically. They're kind of feeling. And it's really fascinating when you speak to a group of people that the same group of people will hear, hear, see, or feel different messages based on how they process information. So that's the one thing I've learned is I've gotten a lot of feedback, and you've got to figure out which is appropriate based on how the person uh, communicated that to you, how they process information. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, but, boy, that's a tough one to do, though, figure out how the person oh. processes information. It's almost like uh, five people watching uh, the same movie and everybody take away different things. Yeah, it's fascinating. Oh, I didn't say this was easy. Um, <laughs> I, uh, but what was, what was interesting to me is, is one of the – at some point in time, I had somebody who – she does training for speakers, and so she's a speaker coach. And she was in the audience. I met her before I gave the talk, and, and I said, hey, I'd like to have some feedback. And at the end of the day, the feedback she gave, and she, she did it beautifully. It was great to listen to her. But when I'm listening to her feedback – it corresponded with how I thought she processed information because what she really was asking for, she wanted more stories, you know, a little bit less data and more stories because people remember the stories. Well, what does that mean? That means she processed information um, auditorily, right? It's more about the stories. It's less about the visuals. It's less about the kinesthetic. It's about what can you take away? What's a story I can now retell? And so it was interesting to hear that because that was the point in time where I actually needed to hear that. So I added more stories, right? But it was the, I now know the stories I was going to add were stories that were for the auditory person that they then can repeat, right? And that's the way to be thinking about it is what do you, who are you giving to, to what and why? If somebody says the, the visuals of your presentation suck. Uh, I got that at the beginning. Um, then the answer is, okay, what would make it unsuck, <laughs> you know? And, and if they're a visual processor, you're like, you know, you get a feeling for what's appropriate. And, and, you know, when you get a lot of advice, you can't listen to a hundred percent of what everyone says. What you have to do is figure out what do you think will work best for the audience you want to reach. Well, Mitchell, listen, we're down to the last minute or so of the show. And I want to give you the opportunity to tell everybody how they can go get your book. Oh, perfect. Well, yeah, I know I've written 58 books. So here's what I suggest. Go to, first, go to ahadapp.com and start sharing it. It's free to use, free to share. Just register for the platform and please go at it. You could also go to ahadapp.com slash author, and that's where you can learn how to write your own book. And if you're interested and you want to connect to me on social, le- uh, social media, uh, just Google Mitchell Levy, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, last name L-E-V-Y. And, uh, and connect to me. I'll, I'll come up with a top – somewhere in the top five of ten, you'll see me at LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google+, Snap, Instagram. And feel free to connect to me, and I will, I will reach back when I can or when it's appropriate. And I'd love to see you write your book so I can help share it for you on uh, social media through the AHA That platform. Definitely, definitely. Mitchell, and I want to thank you so very much for taking time out to come uh, and chat with us. And um, I know we'll be talking to you soon. And for the listeners that joined us late, uh, please, you can listen to the whole show in its entirety 
blogtalkradio.com forward slash player. You can get it from our website, uh, worldmovement.com. You can get it from iTunes or iHeartRadio or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from or just plain Google me or Google me. Mitchell, it's been a blast. We definitely enjoyed you. And come back and see us soon, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, take care. Have yourself a great rest of the week, guys. Going to have some aha moments. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Good for you. All right. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks. Take, take care. Bye. All right. Mitchell Levy, everyone. Come back next week. This is your boy, Lamont Patterson, and you've been listening to Can a Player Play? Have a great weekend. And we're coming up. Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. I know you're in the trenches fighting... But check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleep but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you, I'm just hitting you with the real <laughs> If you doubt for me and I was still tripping Now how you think that make you feel? Check this out, deep game, this here's deep huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're stuck at trying to reach huh? But after him who's able to possess your father's by his glory Struggle might be part of your testimony but it ain't the end of the story Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate